Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. This is Lucy Nalpathanchel, and today we're bringing you a Where We Live Extra. Did you know one of the world's most unusual mammals lives right here in Connecticut? Here's producer Carmen Baskoff with more. Imagine you're in a dark, damp tunnel below the earth. Suddenly, you find yourself face-to-face with a ferocious hunter. The creature has tweezer-like teeth, but that's not its most distinctive feature. At the center of its face, the predator has a flower-shaped star made of wiggling tentacles. It uses this fleshy star to feel its way through the tunnel and catch unsuspecting prey. The Demogorgon! No, I'm not talking about a sci-fi monster. I'm talking about the star-nosed mole. This real-life creature actually lives right here in Connecticut, even though its face looks like something out of Stranger Things. So I'm biased, but I think the star-nosed mole is way too cute to be a demigod. <laughs> I talked to Ken Catania, a biologist and neuroscientist at Vanderbilt University, to learn more about these unusual creatures. Catania's researched star-nosed moles for decades and knows more about the biology of these animals than almost anyone else. He's investigated the neurobiology of their star-shaped snouts, and his research explained for the first time why these moles have such strange noses and what truly remarkable creatures these tiny moles are. I asked Catania how he first got interested in studying the star-nosed mole. The very first time I ever heard of these, my parents had given me a book when I was probably seven or eight years old that was called Animal Oddities, and it had all kinds of crazy creatures in it, and one page had starnos moles. And I thought they were totally freaky looking, uh, you know, bizarre, almost kind of disturbing looking. (laughs) And I probably wouldn't have remembered that except when I was about 12, I was hiking around the stream behind my parents' house. And I actually found a dead starnos mole sort of laying out in the sandbank in the middle of the stream. And I was absolutely amazed because I had seen this thing in this book and I thought, wow, it must be, you know, from South Africa or the Amazon. And here it was in my backyard. And so that really made them stick in my mind. Fast forward to when I was an undergraduate at the University of Maryland and there was an opportunity to volunteer doing work at the zoo. And the job was completely focused on star-nosed moles. And so I kind of had this little head start in knowing about them from those encounters, and that had made me read a little more about them. And so I got the job and essentially started collecting and doing research with star-nosed moles at the National Zoo. So uh, for listeners who haven't maybe seen one of these creatures, they look like something that might be out of sci-fi. Can you paint a picture for me of what a star-nosed mole looks like? Yeah. So, and I should say, I've taken a bunch of photos of them and they've kind of, they're out there on the internet. And if you see one of these photos that is looking just at the front of the animals with the feet, it looks completely crazy. Um, But if you were to get more of a side view or see one in person, um, they don't look quite as bizarre. So they're mouse-like in size. Um, They're furry. They're little mammals. Um, They're not rodents. They're they're related to shrews. They're so so they're very distantly related to rodents. They weigh about forty grams, maybe fifty grams, and that's maybe twice the size of a typical house mouse. 
Um, and they've got these really big clawed forelimbs like all other mole species for digging tunnels. So that gives them another sort of sheen of unusual appearance. And of course, the elephant in the room is the star. So they have this totally weird nose with these 22 fleshy appendages that ring it. And so people had been wondering for a couple centuries, what the heck is that about? What's it for? How does it develop? Why did it evolve? You know, what's going on with this bizarre animal? And nobody really knew for quite a long time, partly because the animals are really hard to catch. So, all right, what does the star look like? And, and how big are we talking? How much of their face does this take up? It's only about the size of your fingertip. Um, and it, can, it, it looks a little bit like a starfish with extra sort of rays or appendages. And these appendages ring the nostrils. So they're right at the tip of the nose. So it's basically um, kind of like a star, like a miniature starfish sort of attached to the tip of their snout. Right. And I guess, you know, you're describing this around the nostrils. And my first thought might be that this is around the nose. This is some sort of weird contraption it has for smelling things. But that's not what the star is actually really used for. That's right. And that's a really good point. I'm glad you brought it up because most people would think nose, smell. But what you would want to think about is the tip of your own nose is not how you're smelling things, right? It's the olfactory receptors that that are inside your nasal cavity that, that are for smell. And the same is true for a star nose mole. So these appendages, well, first thing is people didn't know for a long time what they were. So sort of the sky seemed to be the limit on what could they possibly be doing because it's such a bizarre structure. Uh, it did turn out that when we eventually did the studies that these are for somatosensation or touch is what you would call it in the same way that our fingertips are very sensitive touch receptors. The sternos mole has 100,000 nerve fibers for touch concentrated into the size of your fingertip. So that's more than five times your entire hand all in one fingertip. So that's that gives you some idea of just how sensitive and acute and, and high resolution their sense of touch is. You and your lab were, were sort of involved in figuring out what exactly star-nosed moles were even doing with this, this organ. I mean, can you talk about sort of your early research and parsing what this star was for? Sure. Um, so there were a lot of clues. So when, whenever you're trying to sort of work out what is an organ for, you know, what is, what is a structure doing, you really want to take sort of a multidisciplinary and approach and look for every clue you can get. So um, one of the first big clues, of course, is that the star is made of Imer's organs, meaning that these little structures are found on other moles as well. So whatever it's doing in other species, it's probably doing in the Starnos mole, but doing sort of more and better, so to speak. Um, so if you record from the nerve fibers that are coming from the star, you find that they are among the most sensitive to compression and touch uh, that that uh, are out there. So we don't even know what the lower threshold is because all of the stimuli that we were able to use, they did respond to touch. So, so they're really sensitive touch receptors. And another sort of facet of this is to look at the mole's brain organization. And it has a huge area of the what you'd call the neocortex devoted to processing the receptors for touch. So um, it became quite clear that that's what this star is about. And of course, we tested for other stimuli like electric fields, um, for example, and for chemical reception and so forth. And there's really no sign that they're doing anything else 
but really high-resolution touch. And at first, that might seem like, oh, okay, so it's just a touch organ. Maybe that's not you know, so exciting. But the way that they use it for touch is really remarkable because the, the side appendages are sort of for low resolution, and the central appendage is what we call the tactile fovea in an analogous way with uh, visual systems. So there's a high-resolution central part and a low-resolution sort of surround. So it's very analogous to the way our visual system is put together. And that came as a big surprise. Am I understanding correctly that these moles are functionally blind in terms of their actual vision? That's right. They have a tiny optic nerve, very small eyes. Um, and, of course, they live underground, so they're really not using vision very much at all. And so I guess, you know, when we are navigating the world as humans, we're relying on our vision for the most part to kind of paint this picture of, you know, what is around us and the texture of things. I mean, is is it fair to sort of think of their touch with their nose as kind of their version of vision for us? You might think of it as that kind of an analogy. It's, you know, of course, I'd say there's a star-nosed mole somewhere on another planet saying in a classroom, and they're saying, well, can we think of those eyes those humans have as sort of like touches for us, right? So it gets very philosophical what you want to think of as what a sense means. Um, but the way that they use it is truly remarkable because they are incredibly fast. So you need to use basically slow motion video even to see how the star moves. And so what they're doing is is touching one place after another up to 13 times per second. And as soon as they detect something that may be edible, they make a sudden movement in the same way you would shift your eyes if you saw something interesting to touch with this central portion of the star. And then they can decide whether that's something they want to eat in a fraction of a second and then eat it and start searching for the next thing all in about a quarter of a second. So they're actually in the Guinness Book of World Records as the fastest foragers among mammals. So the star is not only interesting in terms of its sort of anatomy and what it looks like and how many nerve fibers and the brain, but it's also interesting because it gives this mole an ability to do something remarkable, which is to eat little tiny things super fast. This is Where We Live. I'm producer Carmen Baskoff. We're talking today about the star-nosed mole. My guest is Ken Catania, a biologist and neuroscientist at Vanderbilt University. For years, scientists were baffled by the creature's unusual nose. But Catania's research helped unravel that mystery when he discovered that the mole's tiny star-shaped snout actually works like a super-sensitive touch organ. The unusual nose has more nerve fibers in it than the human hand. Given how sensitive their noses are, I asked Catania, what do the mole's brains look like? So it's, it's interesting in the sense that um, there's a very unusual anatomy in this animal where you can actually see the brain maps where the star projects. Um, and so that allows us to look at how much territory is devoted to each part of the star and to quantify various sort of aspects of that representation in the neocortex. And so that's a really interesting aspect of it. And, and the, the biggest part of their star map is devoted to this fovea region. And that's essentially what you see going on with visual systems as well. So there's a lot of analogies that you can make with um, the way visual systems are put together and also the way that the auditory system of bats are put together. They have the same sort of 
organization where particular frequencies are overrepresented in a bat brain. And the end result of sort of putting all those observations together is you kind of get a general rule for how evolution builds a really high-resolution sensory system. And that is to make one area high resolution and the rest of the area of the sensory sheet low resolution for sort of scanning. I understand these are actually creatures our listeners could potentially find here in Connecticut. Sure. I mean, the most common way people see them in their range is probably the cat bringing it in, or maybe they get caught in a pool or something like that, and or potentially roadkill. Um, they actually live all the way down into the Smoky Mountains of Tennessee, where I'm located. Um, not in I'm, I'm in Nashville, but um, and it and it expands from there, going uh, up the northeast coast to include much of eastern Canada. So they go way up north, and they don't hibernate. Um, so moles don't hibernate as a rule. And that's interesting for the star-nosed mole that lives in such cold regions. A lot of the moles don't live that far north. And so, of course, that raises the challenge and the question of, you know, how do they make a living in the winter and how do they stay warm? And part of that is they have this incredibly lush fur that's really well insulating, which is especially important for a star-nosed mole because it'll actually dive into streams in the winter to get food, which is another amazing side of their biology. Thinking about the environment that we have here in Connecticut, how does this, having this super sensitive touch organ, you know, on their face, how is that helping them sort of navigate their world and and find food in this environment? What it looks like is going on is that, you know, a lot of these other moles live in lawns that eat larger creatures that they find in drier soil. But wetlands are really famously packed full of a whole lot of small, soft-bodied invertebrates. And so, you know, if you were thinking of the challenge of evolution and, 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 you know, how could an animal take advantage of all these little tiny things? Well, first off, it'd have to find them. So you would need to have a really sensitive, high-resolution sensory system. And autumn, you know, then we can think, hmm, the star, right? perfect for that. The other thing that would have to happen is you would have to be able to eat enough of them quickly to get your caloric needs met. So you'd have to be fast in order to eat a lot of small things to, to basically meet your needs. And the, that's the other aspect of star-nosed moles. That, so those two things are sort of standout features. High-resolution star, very fast eating. And there's a third aspect of this that that I didn't mention, which is the Starnas moles have these really weird front teeth that they use like a pair of tweezers to pick things up um, very efficiently. So like everything else in evolution, you know, this the, the star did not evolve in isolation. It, it was a concerted evolution of the front of this animal's face. And when you look at the teeth, it's pretty clear that the teeth evolved along with the star to exploit little soft-bodied things in the wetland. Now, having said that, I should add that, you know, it's it's sort of like if you were hungry and you got offered a hamburger, you would you would go for that, and a starnose mole will go for larger prey if it runs into it. But when all of that low-hanging fruit is gone, probably because it has competitors, it can turn to this big resource, this vast resource of small soft-bodied things and make a living off of those that other animals simply can't detect and can't eat fast enough to exploit. 
They are also able to um, function underwater. Can you tell us a bit more about that? And I understand um, they sort of have some specialized behaviors underwater as well. Yeah, I mean, that, and that's a great—I'm glad you asked that because, you, you know, there are so many weird things about this animal. Actually, sometimes I think there's so many weird things about all animals if you look closely. But in, in this case, you know, I would have never guessed how good a swimmer a Starnos mole could be because it certainly doesn't look like it. But they're good swimmers. And when we, you know, looked at what's going on with the star, just curious about whether they wouldn't be as good at touch underwater— I got sidetracked by a totally different observation, which nobody thought was possible for a mammal, which is basically the ability to sniff while underwater. And you might think, well, how could you possibly do that, right? Because sniffing involves inhaling air. And the way that this works for a star-nosed mole is they'll actually exhale air out of their nostrils and then re-inhale the same air as they're foraging and looking for things. It's a pretty neat trick. And it allows them to detect odorants, and they can actually follow a scent trail underwater by doing that. Um, totally unexpected, um, just discovery from making sort of basic observations about what's going on when they dive underwater. When you look at these unusual animals, and that's sort of the specialty of my lab, um, they approach the kinds of things you see in science fiction. I actually think sometimes they outdo some of the things you, science, you see in science fiction. Um, you know, the, the speed of this animal, the weird face that it's got, um, the unusual teeth and what it's able to do is something I could never have imagined ahead of time. In the decades since he first started studying the star-nosed mole, Ken Catania has also expanded the scope of his research lab to study many other unusual animals. He's done research on the neurobiology of creatures from naked mole rats to electric eels. I asked Catania, what draws him to study some of nature's weirdest creatures? Well, part of it is just the mystery. Um, that's why people were initially so interested in trying to understand star-nosed moles, because it's a mystery. It's sort of like, you know, if, if there was an astronomer checking out the night sky and suddenly there was a new blinking star out there, they turn all their telescopes and say, what the heck is going on out there? And the same is true sometimes in biology. When you have these really extreme animals, it sort of begs the question of what's going on? What's the function of these things? How could it possibly evolve? What can they do with this sort of structure? You know, what can an electric eel do with a massive battery in its body? What can a star-nosed mole do with the star? What are tentacles on a tentacle snake for? How does a water shroom make its living? So there's sort of no end of interesting mysteries. But sometimes the really extreme animals are not only the most fun to look at, but they truly do reveal often sort of a general principle or a lot of general principles about biological systems. So in the case of the Starnos mole, the tactile fovea that's organized like an eye um, the relationship between how the star develops and how the star evolved, those kinds of things. And even being able, as some of our collaborators have done, to start to look for what are the molecules that mediate the sense of touch, that's a great place to look for those kinds of things. So I think these really interesting animals sort of give you both the sort of the wow factor and also the basic science factor. Thinking about us as humans, are there things that maybe give us revelations about how our own bodies might be working that we can learn from a creature like a star-nosed mole? Sure, there are. Um, you know, some of this gets down into the sort of the details of the neurobiology. Um, how do these 
maps in the touch areas of the brain develop, what guides their development, how do you end up getting extra territory devoted to a particular part of a brain map? You know, that is a key question because that relates back to skilled behaviors like being a musician or using language and all kinds of other things where how much brain territory is devoted to different functions is key. And that relates back to development. And so we can get a lot of good clues by looking at how these specialized animals develop that sort of give us a broader picture and outline about how this works in general for mammal brains. That was Ken Catania, a biologist and neuroscientist at Vanderbilt University. To see some of his photos of the Sarno's mole, go to our website, wnpr.org. Where We Live is hosted by Lucy Nalbathangel. It's produced by me, Carmen Baskoff. Kayon Wolf is our technical producer. To hear more, check out Where We Live on your favorite podcast app. I'm Carmen Baskoff. Thanks for listening. <laughs>